This is W T M. Watch this movie. What? <laughs> How you doing? Oh, good for you. Oh, wait. I drink it up. First, you gotta do the trouble shuffle. Obviously, you're not a golfer. Watch a few movies, take a few notes. W G M. Watch this movie. Welcome back to a brand new edition of WTM Watch This Movie. I am Eric Mulder. My safe word is keep going. And joining me once again is Mr. Positivity. I can't talk too long. I gotta poo. You still have to poo? Always. <laughs> Undiagnosed IBS, probably. I don't know. <laughs> I think it's from all those papadillas. <laughs> <laughs> I have yet to have a papadilla. Let's I, don't, I thought that's what got you sick that one time you went to the movies and that was a pizone. <laughs> that an antichrist <laughs> with all the with all the genital mutilation. I thought uh, is so. How's a papadilla different from a pizone? It's just a different company. It's the same thing, right? Well, a pizone's like a it's like a calzone, mm-hmm. and I think papadilla is like a pseudo quesadilla. Okay. Like it's not, it's like they folded it over, but they didn't like press the edges. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a sandwich. It's like a flatbread sandwich versus like a pocket sandwich about pizza. I don't know. Slight <laughs> difference. Oh man, I should get a new clip one of these days. I've been thinking a little bit, but I haven't decided on anything. To be honest, I don't even remember what your clip was. But <laughs> Haven't you been listening? This is not, not to say still John I don't listen to the podcast. <laughs> that, you know, I just zone out when that clip plays, right? Still John Cena. Your boy. Oh. <laughs> I heard he's getting his own TV show based on a movie that hasn't come out yet. Oh, yeah? What's that? I guess his Suicide Squad character is getting its own spinoff TV show. On Max? On, on HBO Max, I think, yeah. Hmm. And then I think James Gunn is writing that one as well. Because he's doing the new Suicide Squad. I think he wrote and he's directing it. Well, DC needs an answer to this new WandaVision show that I've heard so much about. I don't get it. I don't <laughs> understand... Like, it's not out yet as we're recording this, but, like, the commercials for it, I'm like, like, I don't understand. Like, people are super excited for it, and it's just, like, we're going to put characters from Marvel in old-timey sitcom scenarios, and then, like, I guess there's time travel or something. I don't know. I don't understand it. <laughs> yeah, I, will, I won't be catching that, but... Um... Yeah, because like in the movies, they become like love interests, and then I guess they're just spinning that off and yeah, putting like yeah, like old timey like sitcom scenarios, but stuff that's in the Marvel universe connected to the new phase. I'm sure. I saw one clip where it was like they were in the Brady Bunch house and they're dressed like it was the '70s, and then there's other ones where it's black and white. Like, I don't know if it's like I Love Lucy or Bewitched or something, hmm. but I don't know. 
We'll see Elizabeth Olsen definitely looked at what her sisters did before her and made the right choice as far as her diet and exercise routines because her sisters look fucking horrible and <laughs> she she looking pretty good. Yeah. Yep, she's a good actress. Good actor, I should say. Can't use that term actress anymore. How dare you gender her profession? Mm-hmm. How dare you? Well, today is a recently seen episode. And uh, it's going to be followed by several episodes on movies from our youth. So we have four movies we're going to do. One from 88, one from 89, one from 1990, and one from 91. So we could just go chronologically. We could. Oldest to newest, or newest to oldest. Yeah, we could do that. We're going to do The Great Outdoors from 88, Batman from 89, uh, Problem Child from 1990, and Turtles 2, Secret of the Ooze from 91. We'll wrap it up with the best one. Okay, you can do that. I was going to say Batman was our first superhero movie, but we did Turtles 1 last year, so I, I think that counts. Yeah. Also counts as a comic book movie, so mm-hmm. suck it, Batman. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, I challenge you, last recently seen episode, to watch The Neon Demon. So uh, I guess I will go first. What did you see, Clarice? What did you see? And I'm going to talk about a movie from 2020. It's 2021 already. We're talking about old movies now. I know. We're late to the game. Wonder Woman 1984, which is another year entirely. <laughs> I saw that, but I didn't really want to talk about it. So. <laughs> I figured can, we should, since it's new. You can, you can discuss <laughs> everything about that movie. So, Wonder Woman 1984, directed by Patty Jenkins, starring Gal Gadot, Chris Pine, Kristen Wiig, Pedro Pascal, Robin Wright, Connie Nielsen, Lily Aspel, Amir Waked, Christopher Polaha. I think that'll about do it. Synopsis. Diana must contend with a work colleague and businessman whose desire for extreme wealth sends the world down a path of destruction after an ancient artifact that grants wishes goes missing. So we talked a little bit about this in the Death Proof episode, I believe. I think so. I read that uh, article about the problematic nature of Wonder Woman 1984. (laughs) (laughs) About Chris Pine's character. But uh, yeah, I liked uh, the first Wonder Woman. Uh, I was excited for this. Um, Big 80s guy. So this should be right up my alley. And it wasn't. (laughs) I don't know, like... Chris Pine's character in the first one provided some comic relief, the fish out of water aspect. And so they kind of do that again here, but they don't do much of it. Like all they did was basically in the trailer. Right. Like they have him trying some 80s clothes for about two minutes. And, ah, ha, 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 and then that's it. Well, then he picks the, like the least 80s outfit to go out in. <laughs> yeah. Like an all black windbreaker suit. Like, I don't think they were going out in all black that frequently in the 80s i think they're much more into colors 
Mm-hmm. But I digress. Yeah. I don't normally you know, mind long movies as long as it's engaging throughout or engaging enough. This is a runtime of two hours and 31 minutes. And it should have been about an hour and 45 minutes. Yeah, probably. At least 45 minutes too long, I'd say. Because they didn't have much action. A lot of the action they did have was a lot of CGI that, even like the CGI didn't even look great. No, there's. You think it would for such a big tentpole movie? There were scenes where, like, like one in particular, I, I don't know if it's a spoiler or not, so I won't. I'll try to walk around it, but there's a scene that looks a lot like the first Superman movie or a scene out of the first Superman movie. And I'm like, I was thinking, did they do that intentionally? Like to make it look like it's 1970s special effects or are they just bad at special effects for some reason? (laughs) Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, There was one scene, the fireworks scene that I thought looked pretty good. Yeah. But that's about it for dazzling visual effects honestly even that one was like to me like it it was obviously put in there to you know be visually stunning Mm -hmm. (laughs) but uh like even that 30 seconds (laughs) it looked it looked a lot like a uh just like an old rear rear projection type uh style scene and it's like because you'll see it in the the trailer too where they're Mm -hmm. They're in a jet. She makes the jet invisible, you know, because she's Wonder Woman. And mm-hmm. then they have, they're flying through fireworks for some reason. And then they, they have like a, a shot of them from like the dashboard of the plane looking out at the fireworks as it reflects off the, the cockpit. And it looks like they're just sitting in front of a green screen, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like it doesn't, yeah. like it, it didn't, wasn't that uh spectacular in my opinion like it it looked like a special effects shot Mm -hmm. like and it didn't look like you know the realism that i think they were going for it reminded me of the family guy joke can't remember who's talking to wonder woman but she's sitting in her invisible jet her invisible plane oh yeah and somebody's talking to her it might be superman or something like that and she's like, oh, this is embarrassing. I am actually in the bathroom of the invisible plane. <laughs> she's just like sitting up in the sky. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Kristen Wiig, everyone's like, oh my God, can you believe Kristen Wiig played a villain? Like, yeah, it's a comic book movie. It's not like uh, she's going for an Oscar here. Like, I can believe that she played a villain. I can't really believe that they cast her as, like, thinking that she'd be, like, a super serious, like, actress. Like, obviously, she's got some name value to her. And, like, she's starting to do more non-comedy roles lately. Mm -hmm. But, like, I don't know. Like, I don't know if it was the best fit for her. Like, she plays ditzy and clumsy for half the movie. But, like, once you start getting that transition into the, you know, the character that she becomes towards the end of the movie, it's like, I don't know. Does she fit that? I don't know. I I thought she did fine, but I never thought she was, like, a terrible actress. Just like, yeah, she's fine in a 
subpar movie. (laughs) So nothing really jumped out at me. As I said, the action is few and far in between. None of the action scenes impressed me much. Just like Shania Twain. Was that, wait, was that Shania Twain or was that uh, Gretchen Wilson or whatever her name was? I think that's Shania Twain. Okay. Either way, uh, I'm going to have to give this a WTM last resort. That's a last resort. I agree with that. I've been telling people to go watch Wishmaster instead. (laughs) It's a very similar story, but you don't have all the schmaltzy uh, Wonder Woman stuff in it. (laughs) Yeah. You don't have the the superhero stuff bogging it down. I am going to talk about another 2020 movie called My Spy. Now, this movie was going to come out, I think it was going to come out in March. And then it got moved to an April theatrical release once Trolls moved to On Demand. And then after that, it couldn't come out because all the theaters were shut down. So it moved to Amazon Prime, or you can watch it if you have Amazon Prime at no extra charge. It's directed by Peter Seagal, or Siegel, Peter Siegel. Stars Dave Batista, Chloe Coleman, Parissa Fitzhenley, Kristen Schaal, Greg Brick, Ken Jeong, Nicola Cohea Demood. Devery Rogers, Noah Dalton Danby. Stop there. Synopsis A hardened CIA operative finds himself at the mercy of a precocious nine year old girl, having been sent undercover to surveil her family. I'm sorry, I have to interject. Uh, You mentioned Christian Shaw, but you forgot to point out her notoriety from her Norbit fame. That's right. You click on her IMDb and that's number three listed there in the four. Yeah, she runs event the, organizer. She runs the kissing booth at the the whatever town fair in Norbit. And then Eddie Griffin and Cat Williams uh take it over because nobody's gonna run the pimp game in town except for them. And then Christian Shaw wants to know what it takes to be a hoe. other people might know her as a voice character in bob's burgers or the tv show last man on earth she's been a lot of stuff and does a lot of voice work too among other comedy roles my spy was a fantastic movie i really enjoyed it um batista top of his game you know i (laughs) After Stuber, Stuber was a, a real step down for him, but he's back where he needs to be as far as his acting career goes, I think, after My Spy. He plays a, like, I think he's like a former like special ops army ranger, and now he's a spy with the CIA. And he's not really good at the spy stuff. He's really good at killing people, but the spy sp- stuff is like the uh, undercover and acting and all that stuff is it's not really something that he excels in mm-hmm. and so he's on the verge of losing his job 
and he gets sent with Christian, Kristen Schaal on the surveillance job uh, because she has some kind of, I don't know if you'd call it a crush, but she's like fascinated by Batista's character. Like she's a huge fan of his. She wants to be around him all the time. And it's not really like a sexual thing, but it's just like a, like an admiration. And she's an IT person. So they send them on a mission to go spy on this woman and her daughter. Uh, her husband was killed a year previous by his brother, who is a international arms dealer. So they want to see if there's any connection between the arms dealer and his former sister-in-law. And uh, you may have seen in the trailers, the woman's daughter, uh, un- <laughs> she, she basically uh, stumbles upon or uncovers their, or she blows their cover and basically blackmails Batista into being her chaperone for these things that her mom isn't able to do because she's got to work and there's nobody else to take her to these things. And as long as he does that, he, you know, won't get his cover blown and she won't tell anybody or put it on the internet or whatever. And hilarity ensues. Batista, like I said, fantastic. This is a a role that was written for him. Highlight his strengths as far as being an actor. He's, He's really good at being the big tough guy who really doesn't understand sarcasm. Like he doesn't understand humor. Yeah, and that misunderstanding is what's funny about a lot of these scenes. And he had really good chemistry with the uh, the girl that played the daughter. She was great in it. Christian Shaw was great. Uh, a lot of fun. It's got some action in it. It's got humor. It's got heart. Definitely, like I said, a huge step up from Batista's last attempt at a comedy with Stuber. So if you have Amazon Prime, I would recommend your one of your next few viewings should probably be my spy. And you should check it out, WTM, eventually. Eventually. Well, I finally saw a supposed cinematic masterpiece from 1983 called The Big Chill. Directed by Lawrence Kasdan with a star-studded ensemble cast. Which includes Tom Berenger, Glenn Close, your favorite, Jeff Goldblum, William Hurt, Kevin Klein, Mary Kay Place, Meg Tilly, who we talked about in Psycho 2, uh, Joe Beth Williams, and Don Galloway. Synopsis A group of seven former college friends gather for a weekend reunion and a South Carolina vacation home after the funeral of another of their college friends. So their friend from college commits suicide. His name is Alex, and it was actually played by Kevin Costner, but all his uh, FaceTime was cut, all his scenes. So he's listening on IMDb, but you never see him. I'm not even sure if you even hear like a voiceover or anything like that, but... I don't remember hearing his voice. But it's even prettier. That's early Costner. I mean, he was working by then, but he didn't become a star until the late 80s. But uh, yeah, I heard a lot about this movie. Um, it might still be on HBO Max, and I was going to watch it there. 
but I was at Barnes and Noble and they had their criterion sale and it's an eighties movie. And it talks about how great of a soundtrack it has. I'm like, well, this, this is a well thought of movie. This will be money well spent. I'll watch this movie over and over again. <laughs> I'm sure. And, uh, not the case. Uh, it does have a good soundtrack, a lot of 60s and 70s music. There's some good performances in here. It was cool to see Tom Berenger. This is still kind of right in his prime in the 80s. You know, I haven't really seen him much after like Platoon and Major League and stuff like that in the 80s. Yeah. He was in Training Day. And that was, it's like about it seen some early 90s movies like The Substitute, things like that, and Sniper. Yeah. But, um, Jeff Goldblum was, was fine. You don't just love Jeff Goldblum. Everybody just loves Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, he plays a, kind of a creepy perv. So he's just like himself. Yeah, like, so it's The Seven Friends, and then the Alex who committed suicide, he had this girlfriend who he was with for like four months. And she's just there too because they don't want to <laughs> exclude her. She was apparently, you know, close to their friend. So, I mean, he's like trying to bang her the whole movie. And it's like, <laughs> and it's like even like he's trying to get close to her, like like at the funeral and things like that. And it's just like <laughs> even for an '80s movie, that sounds like it's a bit much. <laughs> and she's kind of like a, an aloof person, like doesn't seem like she's very empathetic she kind of seems like a free spirit uh, mm-hmm. druggy type of person but his movie is uh full of boomer stuff <laughs> <laughs> which i don't necessarily mind but um yeah it's just when it's over i was like uh so what's the point of all of this <laughs> Right. Like it doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> it really doesn't. Like, like I said, performances are fine. There's some decent dialogue and scenes, but I can't picture myself going like, Oh, I'm going to put in the big chill. That's going to be a lot of fun. Right. Like I'm sure I'll watch it again sometime, but I pretty much can guarantee that if I watch it again, I'm not going to get like more out of it the second time. Maybe I'll enjoy certain things more, but this isn't that, deep of a movie even though it kind of comes off like it's going to be right and it was nominated for best picture and then looked up and Rotten tomatoes and it was only like 68 percent or something (laughs) (laughs) slow year 83 i guess so i guess everybody left the the good movies for 84 yeah but uh, yeah i will have to give this uh last resort that's a last resort well, my next film, another 2020 Amazon Prime movie. You may have heard I have a 30-day trial on Amazon Prime. So <laughs> it's called Borat Subsequent Movie Film. It's directed by Jason Woliner. Stars Sasha Baron Cohen and Maria Bakalova. And then a bunch of just random people mostly. Non-actors. And the synopsis is follow-up film to the 2006 comedy centering on the real-life adventures of a fictional Kazakh television journalist named Borat. Now, I really liked the first Borat movie. 
I liked the uh, Dolly G show and the Borat skits that they did on there. Did not care for Borat. I'm going to call it Borat 2. But Borat 2, there was a couple of funny things in there. They did a few bits that were okay. For the most part, it's like a hour and 35 minute campaign ad for basically anti-Donald Trump or for the Democrats, you know. So it gets a little old. Um, a lot of the jokes are, or a lot of the bits are, everybody knows Borat, so he's got to go into and, and go undercover as different characters. So it's Sash Baron Cohen doing the Borat character, doing other characters to try to fit in. It's just not that funny. The people they mess with, like in the first Borat movie, like people didn't know the character that much, even though it had been on, you know, the HBO series and, and things like that. It wasn't as mainstream as it was after the first movie. And they were just kind of messing with people just kind of for shits and giggles. And it was much in line with how the character originally was portrayed on the TV show. Um, this movie, like, it felt like they ran out of people to, to prank. Yeah. And they were kind of reaching it for straws as far as content, as far as who they're going to prank. Like, I don't know. One of the big sequences is after COVID hits and everybody's going to lock down, he ends up living with these two guys um, to quarantine. And they're into the QAnon conspiracies. And they're like, you know, and it's like, well, like, are you, is it really a gotcha moment when you get two guys and you're spending like 20 minutes on these guys? And then they went to that rally in Washington that was in the news last year Mm -hmm. where he was, you know, singing the racist songs and, you know, wishing COVID on Obama and stuff like that. It's like, well, I mean, so you got like 15, 20 people like, oh, that's, you know, whereas like it, it just seemed like it was low hanging fruit for a lot of it. When I read the article about that part of the movie, or like when I when he did that, like when he filmed that, there was an article that came out about well, he must be doing something. I think at the time they thought it was for his Showtime show or something like that. Yeah. But they talked about like, it was almost like immediately, like people objected to what he was doing, like trying to get him off the stage. Right. Where it was a little different, like in the first movie when he's at that uh, rodeo in Texas, I think it is. Mm-hmm. and uh, a bunch of the stuff he's saying, like a lot of people are going along with it. If, you know, maybe they're not objecting, right? but uh, you know, everyone's going along with it or at least they're humoring just, him, know, letting it play out in front. Yeah. They're humoring him. And um, in this one, it seemed like a lot of people objected and then people were chasing him in their car and, right. and getting them off the stage. Yeah. Like the first movie, it was like a culture clash, right? So like Americans didn't know how to interact with somebody from Kazakhstan so like he's saying, well, this is how I do things in my country. And everybody's like, oh, well, what reason do I have to believe that he's joking? I'm just going to go yeah. along with it. And this one, he's pretending to be an American. 
And so like you might get a few people singing along or whatever, not knowing who he is, but like there are a lot of people who are like, get this fucker out of here. Like there's like, they know what the joke was. Mm-hmm. You know, he tries to break into, I forget if it was like the GOP super PAC or something. And you interrupt Mike Pence's speech and like everybody was like turning on him and telling him to get the fuck out and, the security got him out immediately mm-hmm. and it was like i don't know it wasn't funny like it was it was way too pushing his political agenda yeah and so there's there's like a subplot where his daughter um kind of stows away to come to america with him and like throughout the movie he develops a bond with her and he becomes more enlightened as far as, you know, the value of women and things like that. And mm-hmm. it, it just seemed really heavy handed in the messaging that they were trying to get through. And like, like it's supposed to be a comedy and a satire, but like you've exhausted the character's usability at this point, I think. And putting the character in different costumes, like doesn't make it better. Like it, it made it worse. Like, I didn't understand why they thought Borat, of all characters, would be a good use of uh, what they were trying to do here, especially at this point in time. But, yeah, it it basically turns into just one big political ad. Um, And I didn't, didn't care for it. It was too preachy, not funny. I would say... WTM last resort for Borat 2. That's a last resort. All right. Well, I finally saw a juggernaut of a film from 2014. The Expendables 3. I need to watch that. I have the Blu-ray. I bought the set. Okay. And I watched the first two. I haven't haven't watched the third one yet. I had seen the first two and I had enjoyed them, I guess, for what they were. It was fine. Like, I don't own them. But yeah, I guess I enjoyed what I saw. Yeah, I saw the first one in theaters and I really liked it. Um, but I was afraid that if I watched it again, I wouldn't. But on second watching, it was, st- it was just as good as I remembered. And then the second one's pretty good too. I like that. The second one has like a crazy like opening 20 minutes. Yeah. So you just right into the action. So and the reason I-, I, need to, I need to watch the third one still. The reason I wasn't excited about the third one is because it's PG thirteen. I was like, "Ugh!" They just I know that's what that worries to, me too. Yeah, I mean, although I was like, "Oh, Mel Gibson, I'd like to see him as a the villain and whatnot," but I've heard that it's crazier than the first two. But I don't know if, like I said, I haven't seen it yet. So it's directed by Patrick Hughes, and it stars. Sylvester Stallone, Jason Statham, Antonio Banderas, Jet Li, Wesley Snipes, Dolph Lundgren, Kelsey Grammer. We all remember his great action movies. Randy <laughs> Couture, Terry Crews, Kellen Lutz, Ronda Rousey, Glenn Powell, Victor Ortiz, Robert Davi, Mel Gibson, Harrison Ford, and Arnold Schwarzenegger. So Victor Ortiz, is he an MMA fighter? Victor Ortiz? I don't yeah. recognize that. You discount Kelsey Grammer. 
But I know he, he was an X Men, but an X Men. <laughs> I'm sure he did all his own stunts too in X Men. I mean, he also turned blue, so yeah, it's like saying Mark Ruffalo is an action star because he did the Hulk. <laughs> he turned the Hulk into a nerd. <laughs> I hated the Hulk in Endgame. It's like, what did you do to this guy? Uh, synopsis. Barney, that's Sylvester Stallone's character, Barney augments his team with new blood for a personal battle to take down Conrad Stonebanks, the Expendables co-founder and notorious arms trader who is hell-bent on wiping out Barney and every single one of his associates. So Mel Gibson was apparently a co-founder of the Expendables and him and Stallone had fallen out. Stallone thought he had killed him. Not so much because he shows back up and Shoots one of the expendables. I won't tell you which one. And I won't tell you if he lives or dies. But so yeah, he decides, you know, all these guys are so old. I should get some new new blood in here. So he goes and gets Glenn Powell and Ronda Rousey and Victor Ortiz and uh Kellen Lutz. So I'm looking Victor Ortiz must have been a boxer. Okay. Yeah, so there isn't much different. In terms of content, there's still, you know, probably over 100 people get shot probably. There's just like no blood, which is, I mean, some That's of weird. the close-up hand-to-hand uh, combat, you'll see blood on people's faces and, and their bodies and stuff. When people get shot, there's no blood sprays. Although that's one thing that annoyed me about the first two. They have these really shitty-looking CGI blood sprays when people get shot. That's what annoyed me about the first two. But Stallone really likes those because he used those in the last two Rambo movies too. Yeah. And they just look like shit. I, I think sometimes it can look okay, but those earlier, like late 2000s, early 2010 movies, they hadn't mastered it yet. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's some decent action scenes in here. You know, a lot of ridiculous stuff. It's like, I don't know, if you've seen the first two, you kind of know where it where it's going you know it's like you watch fast and furious and then you watch like a new fast and furious you're like oh yeah that that kind of ridiculous action it's more like you know has some humor in it and things like that Mm. the ridiculousness but they're they're the greatest action stars of all time so it's something they could pull off of course you know (laughs) but uh yeah there's some decent chemistry and you know it's not the greatest dialogue but there's some funny scenes and it was entertaining. Uh, Mel Gibson was really good as the villain. Tony Banderas was kind of funny in the scenes I saw him in. What well, wasn't anything incredible. I, I'd watch it again. It was enjoyable, but probably just have to give it to a last resort. That's a last resort. So three movies today, all last resorts. Well, I had at least one so far that you should watch. My Spy. It's pretty good. I mean, I really liked it. Well, last movie, you challenged me on our last episode to watch 2016's The Neon Demon. Indeed. And it's directed by Nicholas Winding Refn. And it stars Elle Fanning, Christina Hendricks, Keanu Reeves, Carl Glusman, Jenna Malone, Bella Heathcote, Abby Lee, Desmond Harrington, Chris Baker, 
Jamie Clayton. And the synopsis is, an aspiring model, Jesse, is new to Los Angeles. However, her beauty and youth, which generate intense fascination and jealousy within the fashion industry, may prove themselves sinister. This movie relies heavily on visuals and kind of atmosphere with the synthwave, synthwave movie score, sound score, music score, whatever you call it. Yeah, Cliff Martinez does the music and he's done it for a bunch of Wendy Riffin's most recent work. He did Drive, he did this, he did uh, uh, Only God Forgives, and I think he also did that TV show that Riffin did for Amazon. Yeah, so I think they did a great job with that aspect of it. Um, the use of color was fantastic. It's really, I mean, it's it kind of like Suspiria in that way where like he really goes all in on the coloring mm-hmm. of the, the scenes and um, it's really visually stunning, I believe is the term. <laughs> so, um the story moves along a lot based, like I said, based on visuals, there's, there's dialogue, there's scenes that, with dialogue that move the story along, but they're not very frequent. I, I think he really uses it sparingly. And then when it, there are scenes of dialogue, I think it's, you know, it, um, it has more impact than, yeah. you know, than a, a movie where, you know, everything is moved forward by dialogue. Gets a little weird in the last half of it. <laughs> sure does. Some stuff. Some graphic stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I thought the acting was really good. Um, I didn't, you know, Elle Fanning plays a 16-year-old in the movie. And I'm like, trying to think, like, how old was she? Because usually, you know, usually with this stuff, you hire somebody who's older, you know, mm-hmm. uh, above the age of majority uh but she was apparently 16 and 17 when she filmed this movie so well that makes things even more uncomfortable (laughs) (laughs) because she is pretending she's a 16 year old pretending to be a 19 year old and being asked to do some pretty unsavory things that you probably don't want your kids doing um so there's a, there's a lot of tension built through, you know, the style of filmmaking with the, the music and the, the visuals. There's some like strobe, the use of strobe lights or strobe effect. It's very surreal in a lot of ways or in a lot of scenes. Like there's uh, scenes where it just seems like they're in a blank ro- in a, like a void almost. And then there's just color, you know, mm-hmm. or there's these, shapes that pop up throughout the film that he uses to um i don't know what he's symbolizing to be honest but the the triangles pop up a lot you didn't do your homework and read my uh my essay (laughs) my analysis of the neon demon available at wtmwatchthismovie.com i totally forgot about that to be honest but maybe i will now but yeah it's different it Remind me stylistically of Spring Breakers in a lot of ways, where it's very surreal, very much like a 
uh, almost like uh, just montage after montage. But I liked this one a lot better than Spring Breakers. I thought, you know, it was a lot more coherent as far as the story, um, but still kind of using that same kind of style. Um, so I think it's worth checking out Neon Demon WTM eventually. Eventually. Well, now we get to the part of the show where you challenge me to a movie this time, since it's your turn. This is a challenge. And I'm going to challenge you to watch The Omega Man. All right. Now I forget, was this also a remake of an earlier film? This is one of the movies based on the Isle or based on I Am Legend, the book I Am mm-hmm. Legend. It was the, as far as I know, it was the second one. The first one was with Vincent Price called The Last Man on Earth. That's right. That's what I was looking for. Yep. And then this one is Charles, uh, Charlton Heston. And then they did it again with Will Smith at I Am Legend. And they're all just a little bit different, but it's more or less the same storyline. Mm-hmm. So this one's probably my favorite of the three, but uh, we'll see what you think about it. Yeah, I've been wanting to see it. So, and that's on HBO Max, correct? Yes, it's on the Max. All right. Well, we will partially wrap up the show, and then if you want to stick around for spoilers for the Neon Demon, uh, we encourage you to do so. Although. I will say, I do wish people would really watch the movie before they listen to the spoilers part. Especially for a movie like this. I didn't really know anything going in about the movie, and I think that helps. Yeah. To know, like, as little as possible. Well, you can reach out to us. You can email us at watchthismovie at yahoo.com. Check out our website at wtmwatchthismovie.com. You can follow us on Twitter at watchthis underscore movie or Brett at a positive wolf one and please rate and review subscribe on Apple podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, and many other podcast platforms. And Brett, uh, why don't you talk a little bit about Teespring and also, you know, maybe a little update on your show. Yeah. If you want some WTM merch, you can head over to teespring.com slash stores slash WTM watch this movie. Get all kinds of merchandise with WTM logos, a uh, bunch of different designs actually. So check that out. Uh, anything helps the podcast out. So if you decide to make a purchase, it's much appreciated. You can also check out my other podcast, the Positively Wolfy Podcast, where we provide unqualified commentary on allegedly real news. I just made a new logo for that one. So we've seen that. Uh, everywhere as well as on the merchandise site for that which is teespring.com slash stores slash positively wolfy so wherever you're listening to wtm do search for positively wolfy and uh, subscribe to that also all right let's get into spoilers for the neon demon i guess first we can talk about uh, keanu reeves <laughs> bit of a departure from his previous work <laughs> yeah i've I didn't mention it in the uh, my my other review or earlier review, I guess. But yeah, I was trying to figure out when was the last time he played a villain. Yeah, or just 
Yeah, an unsavory character. He's basically a villain. I thought he was great in this movie. This is one of the best roles I've seen him in, I think, as far as his acting chops go. Yeah, he actually, like, he acts in here. And yeah. He's not, he's pretty good. And he didn't seem, like, he seemed really natural. Like, he didn't seem wooden or, like, uh, like in other roles, like John Wick or Morph or uh, Neo, he's, you know, kind of wooden and uh, not as, it, it doesn't seem to come as natural to him as far as, like, reciting his lines, but, mm-hmm. like, he really acted the hell out of that character. Like it was, it was really good. Yeah. Like dude actually can act, but maybe you, you just let him be the villain once in a while. Yeah. You know? And, uh, I definitely think he's improved over his career. And I think some of the characters like John Wick and Neo, that that's kind of like what the character kind of called for almost like a wooden or, I mean, I wouldn't call John Wick wooden, but it's definitely like, you don't yeah, think it's like an amazing I think performance. I'm thinking I'm back. <laughs> it's definitely like not what you'd consider, you know, awards just, worthy, but yeah, just like the way he was deliver- he delivers the lines and those for those characters, it's I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. It's just I think it would be good if he got a few morals like the one in Neon Demon so he could cuz I think a lot of actors they don't get the opportunity to play bad guys, mm-hmm. but I think a lot of them would really excel in it, you know? And I know like somebody like, you know, an action star, a lot of those action stars will refuse to play villains because, you know, people see me as the hero and they can't see me as the bad guy, you know, because <laughs> they can't separate the character from the actor. Yeah. But no, nah, he was great in that. I was... I was pleased with that. I knew the Ruby character was trouble as soon as she <laughs> fucking said her first line, though. <laughs> oh, yeah. What was that? Um, oh, I forget what the first line, but it was when. So, like, it starts off with Al Fanning doing a photo shoot where it looks like she's just had her throat slashed mm-hmm. and she's covered in this fake blood. And afterward, she's kind of in the dressing room area or the dressing area and wiping the blood off and oh yeah the ruby carrier she goes oh i'm sorry am i staring yeah or something like that mm-hmm. it was like sorry am i staring a little creepy. <laughs> <laughs> like you're fucking creepy and then the scene in the bathroom at the club where they're like interrogating her about her personal life like just these vapid models are just you could tell they're fucking killers you know like they're sharks looking for any kind of weakness yeah i thought the movie was a perfect allegory for just hollywood in general and how they will literally chew up and spit people out right (laughs) (laughs) Uh, especially young impressionable um, women it was weird to me. I, I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's just because they cast Elle Fanning, and like they kept talking about like how beautiful she was and how perfect she is. Like her, her looks are like what everybody aspires to have. And I'm like, well, she's okay, but like perfection. I mean, <laughs> that's quite the. I mean, it's not going close in fatal attraction, <laughs> but like it's 
maybe not the the perfect casting choice for that you know part of the script i saw this in the theater and i remember hearing that she was like 16 at the time of filming it yeah so i don't know if that helps like going into it but although maybe i now i can't remember if i actually heard it before or right after when i read about it but i never saw her as like a sexual object i mean i'm really glad i didn't after i found out she was you know 16 but yeah. like she never like i never thought of her like as an object at all or like you know a desirable it's not well, I, think, I thought she was ugly it was just like like i didn't think of her in that way at all right like she plays it really well like as the naive amateur you know they even say like the deer in the headlights look is perfect mm-hmm. yeah that's what they love and it's you know and knowing or not knowing how old she was you know in real life like she plays a 16 year old and you have all these adults saying just like staring at her like she's the most beautiful thing ever Mm -hmm. she's the best thing i've ever seen and it's like i don't get it but i mean i guess that's the way it is you know and then they latch on to her it was super uncomfortable and she went to get her test photos done by that fancy director. Like as soon as he said this is going to be a close set, I'm like, oh, shit, this is not going to end well. And it didn't go as bad as I thought it was going to go, but like it was still, still super her. uncomfortable. Like touching her private areas with paint. Yeah, with paint. It was yeah, rough, rough to see. Oh, did you uh, recognize Pollux Troy in there? Um, I don't recognize the name. Uh, I always well. Pollux Troy from Face Off, Castor Troy's brother, Pollux Troy. That's the character name in Face Off. He's Nicolas Cage's brother in Face Off. He's the uh, the pompous uh, designer. Oh, she works for his big show. But he's popped up a couple of, couple of things recently, and um, it's kind of funny because I'm like, oh yeah, I remember when he was in Face Off, and then like I didn't see him in shit for like 15 years. And then I've seen him in like a couple of random things over the past few. I think it's like Nicholas or Nicola something. I don't know. He might have looked familiar, but I wouldn't have been able to play some. Let's see if I can find him. I can't find his name in the credits, but I, I know I was reading about him in the trivia because they said he was supposed to play Jack, the photographer. Oh, Alessandro Nivola. That's who it is. I still don't see him in the credits. Was he uncredited? Towards the bottom. This is uncredited. That's why. Beauty isn't everything. It's the only thing. It's a good quote. That's how I got the title for my essay. Narcissism isn't everything. It's the only thing. (laughs) Okay, Vince Lombardi. (laughs) (laughs) No, and then like, yeah, there's there's a point in the movie where Al Fanning kind of turns and like, embraces the role yeah. you know she starts you know wearing the makeup all the time like she goes from very baby-faced and naive and kind of childlike to you know wearing the makeup and kind of embracing the lifestyle and then what somebody tries to break into her hotel room and ends up in room 214. Real Lolita shit. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Which is <laughs> fucking disturbing. Say like 214. Gotta be seen. <laughs> <laughs> and 
Now, I don't know who that it was just a random person or if it was the hotel manager or or what the deal was a setup. But I mean there was a mountain lion got into her fucking the yeah. hotel room at one point and I I don't know if that was uh, you question the reality of that because there's some sequences where it, you know it seems like that she's dreaming you know you don't know if it's real or not um but she ends up back you know calling up Ruby you know Ruby says call me anytime and I can help you out she goes to Ruby's place and Ruby's putting her fucking makeup on like, mm-hmm. going out no and then Ruby tries to rape her you know yeah, uh, I've watched this movie, I'd say, probably 10 times. And uh, there's a lot of stuff that actually gets funnier the more you watch it. But um, someone ever noticed before uh, when they're at the show and towards the beginning and they're talking about lipstick and her makeup's named after uh, food or sex. Yeah. And she goes, which are you, food or sex? Oh, yeah. And so after she doesn't get sex from her, then she turns into food. <laughs> I never put that together before watching. I was like, oh, yeah, she is either sex or food, and she turns into food. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even think about that. It's good foreshadowing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's okay. You know, uh, Ruby, she could fulfill her wildest desires at the morgue. Oh my God. <laughs> that scene was uh, too much. <laughs> The grossest part, I think, is when she spit into her mouth. <laughs> I was trying to figure out, I was like, so did they get a dummy? Is it a real cadaver? Or is that just somebody who was hired for the day to just lay there and be a dead body? Because, <laughs> like, you have to really be committed to just sit there and not react to the stuff that she's doing to that thing. But that, was, uh, that was pretty graphic, huh? Yeah. Yeah. But uh, and, uh, things escalate quickly. <laughs> I read that Elle Fanning got punched in the face for real. And it looked like it too. Yeah, that scene in the hallway when she's running and the girl comes from around the corner and surprises her. It's fucking great. <laughs> she just pops out and just punches her in the face. Yeah, a lot of people, you mentioned Suspiria earlier, a lot of people have drawn that comparison. I think he got a lot of inspiration from Suspiria. And there's obvious parallels if you've seen both. Yeah. At least the visual styling, for sure. I think he took yeah. a lot from that. This is part of what uh, I guess is known as Refn's uh, Neon Trilogy. Because Drive has a lot of neon colors like this. It's in LA, just like this one. And then Only God Forgives is in Thailand. And Ryan Gosling runs a, uh, a movie Thai boxing gym type deal mm-hmm. trains fighters and his people fight at his gym but there's a lot of neon in that movie as well i've come to really start comparing his new newer work is from drive on to kubrick stuff and the way he uses color i think it's very kubrickian like the way he uses color i guess that's why i'm such a big refin fan is if you can just remind me of kubrick at all then i yeah I get all excited. <laughs> is, that, is that why you loved Ready Player One? I never, I still haven't watched it. It sucks. <laughs> yeah. I might enjoy that for nostalgia purposes. But They're like, hey, remember? I'm not all hyped to watch it. Remember all this cool stuff that's way better than this movie? <laughs> mm-hmm. There was some neon in 1984 and 80s colors, and 
That didn't do anything for me. Yeah. So it's still got to be good. Right. But I, I think the only, I was kind of thinking like this slow burn filmmaking is really popular right now where it's, you know, this is one of the example, but um, there's a lot of other movies that are kind of similar in the way they tell the story where it's, it's like, is it a real slow burn and real artsy fartsy and like, like this movie, it's good. You know, it's really well done. And like other movies, it's really good and really well done. But it seems like it's starting to be overdone. So I don't know if he continues this style of filmmaking. I don't know where the you know point of diminishing returns kicks in. Yeah. Like I kind of talked about it with the Irishman from Scorsese. It's like how many times can you make the same type of movie before like you get bored with it? You know, like, or with The Wolf of Wall Street was kind of the same thing. It's like, I mean, Scorsese's been making the same movie for like 30 years now. Like, maybe it's time to try something different. Yeah. But, yeah, Only God Forgives is also very similar stylistically. It's my least favorite of the three, but I still like it a lot. And he did a series for Amazon called Never Too Young to Die. And it's I don't think that's what I don't talk about ref in here. What what is it never too young to die that movie with Gene Simmons and John Stamos? Let's see. Oh, it's called Too Old to Die Young. (laughs) (laughs) So kind of the same. (laughs) Too old to die young. Although I would recommend never too young to die. It's not good, but it's great. <laughs> um, Tool to Die Young is also takes place in LA. He's, his use of color is pretty similar, but like you talk about the lack of dialogue or just the amount of pauses right. in between sentences is turned up to 11 for Tool to Die Young. Mm-hmm. Like I was getting frustrated with it. I, there was some, I, there's still things I like about that series, but it is bizarre and there's, no good characters. Like there's nobody you can like or right. support. Miles Teller is the main character and he's a cop who is dating a 16 year old high school girl. Oh, <laughs> so maybe, it's like, maybe we and he's, need a crook, to, he's a crooked cop besides that. Maybe we need to look into Nicholas Whiting <laughs> reference background. If he keeps writing these fucking 16 year old girls about sexual situations. Well, she might be 17 or something like that. But either way, it's like no. he's dating a high school girl. And I think maybe the thing was like he met her at 16. He's still dating her and she's 17. Like it's he's the, been carrying on this relationship for a while. It's the Pat Barry story. <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, I see what you're saying with uh, he might want to do something different. Although, I mean, a lot of his earlier work is very different. I've watched the Pusher trilogy and that's all great stuff. And there isn't like a big mix of use of color and mm. dialogue is, you know, it's not slow or anything like that. It's a lot of it's foreign dialogue, but it's, you know, they're mob movies, you know, gangster movies. And yeah, the, you mentioned the dialogue. I did notice that he does have a very unique way in which he has actors recite their lines, which reminded me of uh, what's his name? Yorgos Lanthimos. Yeah. Okay movies on previous episodes where it's like he definitely is directing them to say their lines in a specific way and it's very unique 
to his movies. Mm-hmm. So like it works. Like it's the movies I've seen of his are are good, and it it works for what those movies are. But like I said too, like if he's just gonna keep making that same kind of movie over and over again, like at some point people are gonna get bored with it. Yeah. But uh, I forget what he's working on next. But um, I'm always excited for a new Refn film. But uh, yeah, and then it ends with the uh, eyeball coming back. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's pretty, pretty funny. That's pretty. You have good. to get it out of me. <laughs> she just goes crazy on herself. That scissors. It's because she was plastic. She wasn't hot to begin mm-hmm. with. She was. You know, you know she was she was fake and so she had one natural thing basically and it ruined her body couldn't handle it that's what the uh, designer was saying you know i used her as an example of you know you can't fake it like yeah. people will know mm-hmm. but uh yeah it was interesting after they ate her that the <laughs> the one model who kept getting overlooked for her work all of a sudden she's the the hot you know new model on down everyone wants to work mm-hmm. with her Yep. She don't give a fuck. She's there to make money. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was, uh, it was something else for sure. It was uh, different uh, as far as story goes. And it's kind of interesting how, like I said, they use the colors and the visuals and the soundtrack to kind of move things along. So definitely worth checking out. Yeah, and be sure to check out my essay on the website. My deep dive analysis. All right, we will check you later. Guess we'll see you around. All right, check you later. Bye. Wait, man, why are you always such a dork, man? What are you talking about? Check you later. Check you later. (laughs) Hey, man, you're off my case.